This podcast is a presentation of Gateway Fellowship, Paulsville, Washington. Experience community, find hope. Check us out at gatewayfellowship.com. Okay, are you ready to dive into 2 Timothy? So I hope you brought your Bibles. It doesn't make any difference if it's, you know, on digital or, or your Bible or whatever. So open it up to 2 Timothy. We're going to be focusing on chapter 2 today. Let me ask you a question. How many, from time to time, you need a reminder? How many of you, how many of you don't? I mean, like, you never forget, right? You only, someone tells you one time, and that's it. No, anybody? Nobody. Okay, so we all need a reminder from time to time, right? Um, now, you might find it shocking, but according to some uh, statistics, my wife um, uses double the words that I use in a day. Do you believe that? Okay. They generally speaking, they say that, you know, um, women use twice the amount of words that guys do. I'm just telling you what I read. So, and, and, and of course, what the response is, is it's because we have to keep repeating ourselves. You know, that's, that's why. So I, I don't know. I mean, I tell my wife, I don't have to be told five times, maybe three or four, but I don't need to be reminded five times. And we, we all need reminders from time to time, don't we? So parents of teens, do you sometimes remind your kids what you said? Sometimes? Teens will be with us in the next uh, gathering. Sometimes they remind our parents of maybe promises. We, we all need reminders. Well, if I were to summarize the second chapter of, of, of Second Timothy, where we're studying, I would say it, it really is Paul saying to Timothy, here, I want to remind you to remind them of, of these things. So that's what we're going to find out. The, the fact is, and the truth is, re- reminders are good for all of us, we all need to be reminded. And as we walk through 2 Timothy, we're going to see where Paul reminds Timothy, you need to do these things and you re- need to remind the hearer of these things. And in reminding Timothy, we are also reminded. So let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Um, Paul says in verse 14, remind them of these things. Well, the question is then, what are these things? And the reality is part of living within a community of faith like what we do is living out the commands. Um, I could, we could call them rules, but they're more commands or uh, opportunities that come with being in a faith community. And part of being in a faith community says we're going to exhort one another, we're going to encourage one another, and those are really reminders. Let me remind you or let me encourage you who Jesus is or who, who God is. And so Paul says to Timothy in verse 14, remind them of these things. The next question is, what are these things, Timothy, that you're to remind them of the here and by extension, you and me? Well, first of all, he says this, remind them of the trustworthy sayings of Paul and others. So remind them of the words that I have shared with you that are trustworthy because they are God's, God's words. We'll see that in just a moment. Number two, warn them before God against quarreling about words and avoiding irreverent babble. Let's explore that just a little bit for, for a moment. I think we understand, it's easy to understand what the quarreling is, but what does Paul mean when he talks about irreverent babble? So he says, Timothy, you gotta remind them like to avoid that over there. What's he saying to you and me? Well, simply this, there are people who do not correctly handle the word of truth. In other words, what they're doing is they're twisting 
God's word, to twisting the, the words of, of truth into a category of, of, of her, heretical teachers. Teachers who are teaching in opposition to God's word. And you are to avoid those or you're to guard your life and your mind from these words are twisting God's word. Why? Because it will continually lead people into more ungodliness. It will lead them away from the truth of uh, the truth and the foundation of Scripture. So remind them to avoid these people. What's it, what's it look like? And if I were to ask you, do you see this happening today? I think probably everyone was would go, yeah. We see that happening today. We see the twisting of Scripture, don't we? You might not refer to it as irreverent babble, but we for sure see the twisting of Scripture. What's it look like? It looks like this, um, among other things. When I am more concerned with making Scripture align with my life than making my life align with Scripture. Now think about that one for a second. That can be a twisting of the Scripture when I'm more concerned with making Scripture align with my life than making my life align with Scripture. Do you see that today? We do, don't we? And so Paul actually names a couple in 2 Timothy. He says, you're going to avoid these people, Hymenaeus and Philetus. Philetus, we only know him by his name being mentioned here. They were teaching a false doctrine against, um, concerning the resurrection. So in the spirit of reminding them, Paul says to Timothy, let us remember that as we read this letter to Timothy, it's for you and me, and they are reminders to you and me to walk away from, avoid these people who are twisting Scripture. All of the teaching that we read, all of the instructions to Timothy are to Timothy, but for you and me. So you got your Bibles? Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning with verse number 1. We're going to discover three metaphors that Paul uses as reminders to Timothy, but applied directly to you and me today. Here they go. Uh, you then, my child, be strengthened by the graces in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. We talked about suffering last week in the role of suffering. Share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is a hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. So I don't know about you, but there have been time, times in, in, in uh, our life as parents when we have used examples by way of reminders for our kids. And so this is what Paul is doing. He's the spiritual father. Timothy is a spiritual child, his beloved child. And so he's using these metaphors, these examples, as reminders to Timothy. And they're reminders to you and me. So he, he uses what? Number one, talks about a good soldier, doesn't he? We'll explore that in just a moment. He talks, secondly, about an athlete. And then thirdly, he talks about a hard-working farmer. And some of you understand that, that life. So each of these have characteristics that must be a part of your life and must be a part of my life as a disciple. And so I'm just going to put up one word, I think, that will draw our attention and that will dive a little bit deeper. The good soldier, we're going to talk about focus, right? Focus. 
How do we focus on the task that you and I have as believers? So when we head out the door tomorrow or we go about our life, how do we focus on what's that? How do we keep ourselves from being distracted or kind of pulled this direction that Paul warns us about? So focus. An athlete will put the word discipline and a hard, hardworking farmer will add to the word commitment. So let's take a look at them. The good soldier, focus. Paul says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. It would be good, maybe go home and later, just sit on that one verse and just begin to write out all the questions that come to your mind. What is Paul saying to us? What's he saying? Paul uses military language here, and it would have been very, very familiar to, to his readers. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul speaks of the good warfare. So they understand what he's saying when he's using this, um, these military example or reminder. He, we need to focus. He said like that. Don't become entangled in pursuits outside of your purpose. Don't get drawn away by the worldly thinking, maybe even what you need in life, or maybe what you think you deserve in life. Don't become entangled in these pursuits that are outside of your purpose. Don't become involved in activity that would restrict you from serving your purpose as a good soldier. It would be appropriate for each and every one of us, even if we have never served in, in armed service, services, see ourselves as a soldier of Christ. Keep your eye, Paul says, focused on what you are called to do. Don't lose focus in life. It's really easy to get distracted in life, so you got to keep your focus. One commentator writes this, a Roman soldier's single-minded purpose, a rigorous discipline, and listen to this now, unquestioning obedience to his commanding officer combined to make the figure of a soldier an apt one for a servant of the gospel. And so I thought about that unquestioned obedience of the soldier, unquestioned obedience. And that might be a phrase that, that's challenging to some, but I think it's, it's important for you, you and I as disciples of Jesus to understand what Paul is saying there, unquestioned obedience. And so I asked one of my commanding officer friends, you know, what does this mean in military terms? Un unquestioning, unquestioned obedience. And, and here's what he wrote. I think it's really good. Obedience to orders in conflict is critical to mission success. Combat requires rapid decision-making, orders, uh, orders and follow-on action by subordinates to accomplish the objectives, and defeat an opposing force. Obedience may place subordinates in an uncomfortable or dangerous situation and therefore requires trust in the leader from which the orders come. A trust fostered by confidence in the leader's competency, actions, and adherence to a shared set of values. I love that. Obedience to orders in conflict is critical to mission success. Unquestioned obedience. Not losing our focus as a disciple of Jesus. Not allowing like the things of the world, whatever they might be in your life, to kind of pull us away 
and, and dis, distract us just a little bit. So I have a little test for you. Are you ready? It's a private thing. You don't have to even respond publicly. But on a scale of 1 to 10, rate yourself. How you doing? Now listen, before you get the question, I've already dealt with it in my own life. So there you go. So on a scale of 1 to 10, how are we doing with our focus on the thing that God has called us to, to be, a disciple? How are we doing? Or do we sometimes find ourselves being distracted by the things in life? So that's the first metaphor that Paul uses. The second one he uses is discipline. So as an athlete, let's talk about discipline for just a moment. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 5. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Just ask the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, for those of you who may not have watched last week's game or you weren't even interested in last week's games, in fact, football is one of those, dis those distractions we just talked about. Maybe. Okay. Um, here's what happened. The Bengals played the Chiefs for the AFC Championship title and the opportunity to go on to the Super Bowl, Jen and I were watching the game. Well, just seconds to go in the game, um, uh, the Chiefs quarterback, Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes, runs the ball out of bounds. And what, what would have probably been outside of field goal range, something happens. Yeah, if you watch it, you know. So the Bengals' defense received a penalty for a late hit out of bounds that resulted in a 15-yard penalty. I turned to Jen and said, he just lost the game for his team. With three seconds left, the Chiefs come up. They were out of field goal range, now because of the penalty, breaking the rules, not being disciplined. The Chiefs go up and win the game, and they're off to the Super Bowl next week. A little bit of discipline would have made a huge difference. Think about that in your life as I think about it in my life. Paul, again, uses the language of an athlete to convey the need for discipline in a disciple's life. He uses it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, so I don't run aimlessly. In other words, I'm disciplined. I don't box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I should be disqualified. Discipline is a part of it, needs to be a part of each and every of disciples' life. The life of a follower of Jesus does not mean do as I say, not as I do. There's a disconnect there if we lack the discipline to live in the way that we say that we're going to. Our life must align with our, our claims, or let me say it this way, who we claim to be today must be who we are tomorrow. We have to live that disciplined life. I, I read a quote by someone this past week. It says, the way a person lives affects the way he thinks. Now, that's a good one to just kind of ponder for just a moment. The way I live impacts the way I think. I think we could switch that around too and say the way I think certainly determines the way I live. And so Paul says, like, you got to think on these things. It's a disciplined mind and a disciplined life, same as an athlete. So I'm going to give you a test again. Are you ready? Just think about it on a scale of 1 to 10. Rate yourself. How are you doing in the area of discipline? How are we doing? Paul says, like, you got to be like an athlete. You got to be like a, like a good soldier. 
You got to focus, and then you have to be disciplined in this, in this life. The third metaphor or example he uses is that of a hard, hard-working farmer. Or we put the word commitment. Now, some of you are so good at this. I mean, you are, you are, you got the green thumb thing going, and you're the, you're the gardener, and you might even be a farmer. Um, that you, you just know what it means when, when we talk about c- commitment, right? It is the hardworking farmer ought to have the first share of the crops. Now, Jen and I, we, we do like the garden, and so we don't have a large garden. So we have one at, at home, and we have one in the park up, up, up the street, a little gar- garden plot. But I, I will just tell you this. I, of all the things that we plant, I love planting radishes. Do you know why? Because radishes make you feel like a successful gardener. Because, like, you can plant radish seeds, and you go out the next day, and you got radishes. Right? I mean, that's how fast they grow. It's like, whoa, that I am really good at this, right? But when it comes to other things, um, it's a little bit different. I mean, it takes work, doesn't it? And so, so Paul says, he emphasizes his word hard, hard working. It contrasts the person who is lazy and idle. It really connects with the previous, doesn't it, um, metaphor, discipline. The farmer sows seed, cultivates, and then harvests. Farming is demanding Work And so we understand that within the context of living out the gospel, we all have a role of the hardworking farmer. So we all have a role. We are all called to this glorious and wonderful life of sharing the gospel. And so some plant and some cultivate and some harvest. And we rejoice in the opportunity for whatever part or role that we play in doing so, committing so, and living the life of a hardworking farmer all the time remembering it's God who, who accomplishes the harvest, right? It's God who does his work as we align with the Holy Spirit in our lives and carry out his purpose um, each and every day. I remind our teams that travel overseas um, that just remember, when you go, you may be planting. You may be watering something else that someone else planted, or we might harvest. But just remember, when we harvest, somebody planted. Somebody watered. And don't get discouraged if you're the planter and you don't see the harvest. It's all part of God's work. And it takes a commitment on your part and a commitment on, on my part. This is why we talk about the long game in missions. It's why we talk about being committed to taking God's word overseas to unreach people groups. I shared with a, a, a local pastor one time, I said, really thinking I was doing so. I think it was just one of those moments when I was just considering what God has called us to do and the hard work of missions that our missionaries are carrying out. But for a local uh, faith community like you and me, it takes a commitment when we talk about the unreached people groups because there aren't always the stories, are there, of thousands and thousands coming to Christ. It's hard work, it's consistent work, and it takes you and me to be committed to that hard work of sharing the good news of the gospel. And because you have been committed, guess what? There is now, there is now um, a sustainable church planting movement <clears throat> against um, amongst um, the uh, people up in northern India who live in the H- Himalayas, they call them the Himalayas. Because you and I have partnered with other churches, did the hard work, spent thousands of dollars, 
God's word is being planted amongst an unreached people group. That's wonderful, and that's glorious, but he is the one who has done it. But we partner with the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, I planted the seed, Apollos watered, but it was God who makes it grow. Let's never forget that he is the one who causes the seed to grow. As we remain committed to sharing the gospel story by planting, by watering, living out our purpose, God will give the increase, but it's always him as we partner with the Holy Spirit. And we can bring that right down to your daily life and to mine. When you go off to work tomorrow or wherever you head into your world, whatever that looks like, are we doing the hard work of the farmer in planting the seed? On a scale of one to 10, how you doing? Think about it. How you doing? The last part that we're going to focus on for just a few moments in 2 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, 2 Timothy chapter 2, the honorable and dishonorable vessels that Paul talks about can be confusing, really, when you read it. Um, the above metaphors reflect a person committed to a life honoring the Lord. And this is what Timothy's talking about when he refers to, or Paul's talking about um, to Timothy when he refers to honorable and dishonorable. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20 and 21. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, and ready for every good work that we just talked about. Paul's teaching here indicates that there are those useful, and there are those not useful. And he's reminding Timothy of this. The picture here is of the vessels in a home of influence, so he refers to the great house, but the contrast between what is honorable and what is dishonorable. And the context here is that Paul is dealing with true and false teachers and the faithful and the unfaithful within the church. The call is to be a vessel of honor, how? By allowing the Spirit to cleanse us from those things that lead us away from Christ and His Word. Or in Timothy's case, false teaching and, and, and false teachers. We're to cleanse ourselves to allow the Holy Spirit to quicken our minds, quicken our hearts to those things that would lead us away from the honorable. I think we can apply the metaphor beyond false teachers and false teaching to anything that we entertain that takes us away from being set apart from him. Again, it goes back to that word distractions. There are a lot of distractions in life that you and I are dealing with each and every day that draws away from who he has called us to be. Cleansing is something we do that is only empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's a good prayer every day to say, God, what is it that you want to deal in my life with? Are there things that I'm allowing in my life that potentially pull me away from the person that you have called me to be? It means that we will flee those things that have the potential to corrupt. We'll flee those things. And I, I don't have a test here for you, but it's a good thing to kind of think, how are we doing with the fleeing part? Fleeing means that, that, that we, we will put up a defensive move, right? We'll flee those things that have a potential to corrupt. And in fact, 
in, in just a few verses, Paul is reminding Timothy of this. Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. So walk away from this. Pursue this. Faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Fleeing is defensive. A defensive move while pursuing is all about offense. We're to flee those things, stay away from those things that pull us away from being who God has called us to be. So, here we go. You and I have a mission before us. Um, each and every one of us. If, you, if you're a brand new follower of Jesus, you have a mission. I have a mission. It doesn't make any difference how long you've been in this journey. And the enemy is seeking to distract us or to catch us off guard. It will happen in your life. It will happen in my life. That is the attempts of the enemy. And it will happen in the life of this faith community. Anything to distract us and to move us away from who God has called us to be. We must stay focused and we must stay disciplined and we must share in the work of making the disciples. It's a glorious privilege for you and me to do that. It's a wonderful thing for us to live out this life. And the one that honors God. It's not that we never make a mistake. Like, who doesn't stumble from time to time? That's not what we're talking about. But a, uh, a life that is committed to him, a life that is completely and wholly focused on his purpose for you and for me. And so I'm going to pray. I asked you, just kind of like, how you doing? And again, before I ask you, I've asked myself those questions. How am I doing with my focus? How am I doing in this area called discipline? Am I walking away from, staying away from those things that seek to distract me? And those things come at us in how many different ways? I mean, they come through, right? Your phone. <laughs> they, they come through your digital device, whatever that might look like. They, they come through irreverent babble that we hear out there. So many things are seeking to distract us, but as we live a life committed to him, honorable, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we will make an impact here, there, and everywhere. And so I'm going to pray, and, and uh, maybe you just open up your heart and just let Jesus talk to you. Like maybe there's an adjustment in the area of focus or discipline or maybe the hard work of just planting. I, I don't know. How, how is he speaking to you? What's he saying to you today? What's he saying to me? In just a moment, we're going to come around the communion table. Um, you can get your communion elements ready online here. If you forgot, I, I guess you just have to fake it or something. But um, the communion table reminds us, doesn't it, of what he did for you and for me. It reminds us of his love. It reminds us that you and I have purpose in life when we make him our Savior. So, Father, I would pray that you would speak to each and every one of us today. How are we doing with focus? Um, are we distracted sometimes in life? Uh, it can happen to all of us, God. I, I would just pray that as we walk out this life empowered by, by the Holy Spirit, you would just remind us who we are. And you would just remind us of the task that we have, this glorious, wonderful task of sharing the good news of the gospel that sets people free. I pray for each one today. I pray, I pray for myself and for my family. 
God, keep us away from the things that would distract us from all that you have called us to be, I pray. And even in this moment, your spirit might be putting your finger on something in our life, Lord, that is seeking to pull us away. Maybe we've kind of given in to something that's not completely honorable of you. God, you're speaking to us about that this morning. May we respond to your Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We have our communion elements this morning, and uh, so let's take those, shall we? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, is it easy in life sometimes to just kind of blast through life and kind of forget all that Jesus has done? Yeah, it probably is for all of us. It is for me, too. But this morning, once again, we're reminded that his body was broken, that we might be made whole in every way. His blood was shed for you and for me so that we could enter in a brand new relationship with him. So let's take the bread, shall we? Hmm. Thank you, Father, that your body was broken, that we might be made whole in every way. May it serve as a reminder today to each and every one of us that healing is available in your name. You've called us to come to you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. As we partake of the cup, would you just remind us again of your deep, deep, deep love that you have for each one of us. You gave your son, Jesus, to die on the cross, and he lives today because he lives, we live, and because we have entered into a brand new life, we enter into a brand new relationship with God our Father. We thank you for it in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Let's take the cup, shall we? Well, we live this out, this command that we've been talking about in many, many different ways, don't we? So we do so individually, and we do so as a, as a faith community. And this morning, before we kind of sing our final song this morning, we're just going to take thanks. I think there's some people going to join me on the stage, I think, or maybe I'm just alone. This is what we planned before service, you see, and then it all breaks down, right? So anyway, are they back there, Jason? Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing our final song, and then I'm going to have you seated, because maybe by then they'll be here. So let's stand together, shall we? And uh, let's join together.
Alive. He is alive. 